0: Welcome to Season 2 of Living Fullness, a podcast where two friends explore what it means to live out the Christian life. My name is Tina Constantine.
1: And my name is Father Sean Burns. And every week we look more closely at deepening friendships, intentional relationships, growth in virtue and nurturing our spiritual
0: lives. We hope by sharing our learning, reflections and experiences, this podcast will serve you in living your life to the full.
1: Hi everyone and welcome back to the Living Fullness Podcast. How are you, Stina?
0: I'm doing well, doing really well. How about you?
1: Oh, going very well. Thank you. What have you been up to?
0: I've actually been on the road a bit more than I normally am in the last little while. Just come back from a road trip. Um, Mm -hmm. But it was probably the first time I've driven in a little while where everything just looks really lush. We've had so much rain. Everything is just green and blue and beautiful. It's really lovely
1: yeah yeah absolutely absolutely what's been
0: happening in your world
1: uh lots of hospital visitation actually oh yeah I've got, okay. I've got a lot of parishioners in hospital yeah right. uh so um so i've just been visiting the visiting people in hospital and mm. keeping up with how they're going and yeah yeah so that's Aww. kind of been my life recently
0: yeah yeah
1: sure yeah so nice. keep of parishioners in your prayers yeah yeah so uh what are we doing today
0: We are going to finish the book study, um, Men and Women Are From Eden by Mary Healy. So we are on to the last three chapters of that book.
1: Excellent. Chapters seven, eight, and nine. Yeah. You've heard that joke?
0: No. What joke? You can't start. Why was six afraid of seven?
1: Because seven, eight, nine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I have heard that one. Yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, it's a terrible joke. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Okay. Thankfully,
0: Mary's he- yeah. Mary Healy's book is a little bit better than that joke. So, <laughs> <laughs> you will be right along. <laughs> Damn,
1: that was, that was a footed. Do you see why, you see you know. why when, we, when we did our 100th episode and we did the whole jokes thing, I didn't even get a joke out of the ballpark. <laughs> I laugh at the dumbest jokes ever, right? And, and yeah, yeah, uh,
0: no. No. This is how you make people. Laugh. All right,
1: yes. So,
0: so moving seven. on, chapter seven. Moving on.
1: So, chapter seven um, uh, is really sort of getting into how the theology of the body uh, applies to the married state, uh, and uh, and applies to, to to marriage lived out. And there's a a wonderful um, uh, couple of quotations that that Mary Healy takes from uh, from the theology of the body, uh, and uh, and 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 from sacred scripture, and so one of the things John Paul talks about is that mutual submission, that 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 husband and wife submit to each other, not one to the other, but that there's a mutual submission, uh, and in that mutual submission, they actually find that they are of the same mind and that they 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 have a shared love. They are one body, as it were by virtue of this mutual submission. It's why at the, at the wedding vows, there's a, a exchange of vows. It's essentially like an exchange of will, as it were, one taking upon themselves the will of the other and therefore being mutually subject to one another. Um, and, and so this is all with, with sort of the motivation is being subject in reverence to Jesus Christ, so it's recognizing that the ultimate obedience, as it were, that we owe is to to the Blessed Lord Himself. So that being subject to one another really comes from being subject to to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that's the first relationship that we actually have to have in order, in order to have a marriage that kind of is uh, Christian and 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 functional. You know. So uh, the the uh, husband. This is a. a a point that, that, that Mary Healy makes, the husband initiates in self-emptying and the wife receives and responds to his gift. And I often think about dancing in this area, <laughs> uh, you know, because uh, particularly ballroom dancing, right? So in, in, in ballroom dancing, a man leads, but he doesn't lead in such a fashion that he's like dragging the poor woman across yeah. the dance floor, you know? Hopefully. and and. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's not leading. That's no. that's just dragging. That's 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 not real dance. You know, a real dance is that a man is able to lead a woman across a dance floor and actually be receptive to her comfort, be able to 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 sense when she's uncomfortable moving in a particular way or a particular direction, and then reorient his direction in response to the woman's comfort. So I, I think this is very much sort of. Um, uh, a, a great little analogy for the married life between men and women uh, is that, yes, the man leads, but the style of leadership is a servant leadership. it's mm-hmm. a it's a leadership which uh, which looks to lovingly lead uh, a woman in such a fashion that he is he's is receptive to her needs and receptive to uh, to her desires, her fears her loves, her joys, uh, receptive to all these things in the way that he leads. That's authentic servant leadership. So, so yeah, and, and, and look, the, the, um, this, this kind of is then linked in with this notion of a language of the body, sort of expressing a, a self-giving love, you know, uh, that, that the body has a particular language to it, a language which is called spousal, as we discussed, I think, in the last the last uh, uh, episode. So there's a there's a spousal love, a self-giving love, capable of communicating the truth of who the man and woman are, and the truth of God who lives within them. Also, also, it needs to be said, capable of deceit as well, because the the you know like. The human person is capable of of not giving that self-giving love, yeah. capable of, mm-hmm. of using another and using one's own body in a manner which is, which is unbecoming of a child of God. So, yeah.
0: So I guess in relation to what you were talking about before and a point that Mary Healy makes in her book is like to quote her, she says marriages where two people become one but they only spend all their time fighting over which one like boom (laughs) that that is like couples counseling every time (laughs) that's what that space looks like it's you know two people becoming one but they're constantly in conflict about which one and which path in every circumstance should be the one and they're genuinely convinced and generally and genuinely convinced that their path should be the the one path and it's that whole what you were speaking about before of that mutual submission missing from their relationship They've for whatever reason, because there's been ruptures, there's been some pains and hurts along the way, where they've gone, no, no, I have to I can't keep giving like this because this is not ended well. I've got to self-protect. It has to be this way. So that person's just gonna to have to come on board. But they're both doing it the same way. <laughs> so it's just gridlocked.
1: Yeah. Or Yeah, yeah. gridlocked. That's a good word.
0: Well, it is, it's gridlocked. But the other direction that it can also take is this polite coexistence where one person just sort of steps back and goes, yeah, we'll just do it your way, everything your way, whatever you want, whenever you want, in whatever way you want. I'll just go along with the flow, trying to keep the peace, but that's not mutual submission either because you've effectively just stepped aside and gone, I'm not here anymore. I'm not participating anymore. I'm not actively in this anymore. I'm just passively here. Neither one of those paths are truthful or honest or real for what their relationship for that mutual relationship and spousal relationship should look like
1: how right you are yeah yeah absolutely it's it's it, it, it is a, a oh. it's kind of a piece which is purchased at 30 pieces of silver isn't it Ooh. you know it's 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 sort of a a, a piece which is treacherous in a way mm. because it's it's actually betraying the bond that 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 you're meant that, that 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 we're meant to have, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's 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 kind of a treacherous piece. It's yeah. it's it's there's there's something and malicious it, it's, about
0: it. It's not. It's very um, well. Th- that that's just it. It's uh, very um, rarely malicious. It's very rare that one person not 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 malicious,
1: that. not malicious, felicious.
0: Ah, oh, felicious. I I
1: I think you were making the point that it's not so much a malicious piece, and I would agree. Um, I, I think it's fallacious because it, it's 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 false. It's it's a it's a it's a lie, which has a measure of treachery to it.
0: Yes, there there yes, there is an element of that because because there is a bond that both of them are supposed to honour, and when one po- person or both step away from that, there is something very destructive. Mm. Uh, about that Mm. but I guess the thing I wanted to highlight was that this is the destructiveness is not a malicious destructiveness it generally tends to happen because one or both both people have been hurt in some way and they're trying to protect themselves because something has broken in the relationship and they don't feel as though they can lean in the same way that they used to so they're going for a Mm. different a different method a different pathway I
1: hear Yeah, yeah, I hear, I hear. This is sort of like the extremes on the dance floor, you know, of of being dragged across the dance floor, or the woman insisting on leading, or just sort of, um, you know, one allowing themselves just to be kind of tossed around, yeah. not sort of, not sort of making any desire known, or you know. So it's it's yeah, yeah, extremes yeah. on the dance floor. Like,
0: well. and if you uh, watch, if you watch a. A ballroom a standard ballroom dance couple, like you know say in um, in, in the UK when they have their massive uh, dance competitions, you watch you watch the way that they dance these waltzes and quick steps. They're in unison in complete yeah. unison. There's no like they they can glide across the floor as if they're one moving together. Which is extraordinary mm. for some of the hop, skips, and jumps <laughs> that yeah, happens. Yeah, yeah,
1: for sure, for sure.
0: To not be able to see a separation, but it's exactly as you were saying, Padre. When when that's when the extremes happen, that smoothness is gone. That unity is gone. <laughs> mm.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah.
0: I think yeah. one of the points that she also made in her book is. Um, She also says, it's when their failures drive them to Christ in humble prayer that spouses can begin to experience his cross as a power at work in their lives. That was really striking as well. Um, I certainly see that in every one of my couple sessions that are successful sessions, not in that, you know, all of a sudden they no longer need counselling anymore, but that there's been productive work. Um, There's been... Mm something come to the surface or they've been able to work on something or they've gained a skill or so on in every one of those sessions, it's because they've both been able to be humble and to be able to express and acknowledge that this is a losing battle. What we've been doing isn't working. And I don't know how to carry these weapons that I've been carrying. I don't know how to use them help. Like, and that, that is so beautiful. Even when it's not a Christian couple that's sitting in front of me, it's really beautiful to see that humbling themselves to be present in that relationship to another. And I find that it's exactly in those moments where they are able to do that that I believe Jesus is able to encounter them in that vulnerability. And then they're able to work together as a team. And that's all they're ever trying to do. They're just trying to work together as a team. It's just unfortunate that generally when those ruptures happen, just, they just—they can't seem to agree on how they want to carry the cross or which direction they should walk in. But that's—that's that's all that's they're trying sure. to do is just pick up the cross and carry it.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I hear, I
0: hear. Mm. I guess uh, also just to put like a note in there because I know not every couple is going to be at that place of being able to work on something together, like in a, cu- in a counseling session, that doesn't necessarily mean that f- there's no hope for those couples. And the way I like to mm-hmm. think of it is that while ever there is one person in that spousal relationship that remains open to change, there is hope for that relationship to become something more. Yeah, absolutely. But when that person gives up, you've got no opportunity for change, change and the possibility of change and the potential change is gone
1: absolutely and and look this this is a this is an important point because we're called to be agents of God's grace to each other on the basis that the more fundamental relationship that we share is brother and sister right so so a husband and wife yes they're husband and wife but even more fundamentally than that they are brother and sister in Christ yeah. and, and so they sort of you know owe to one another. That command of Christ to forgive seventy seven times seven you know mm. um, and, and and if that if that fundamental relationship is not in play, if that's been somehow missed or, or if that hasn't been a part of their of their, their their life for a period of time or if it's been neglected in some way, then uh, that it, it 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 stops them from being open husbands and wives, Mm. uh, it stops them from from that basic Christian charity which has to form the foundation of every relationship that we have.
0: So I guess that was sort of Chapter 7. Very elaborative. (laughs) Chapter 8, she talks about love is fruitful, um, where she goes on to say where the horizontal, that being the – human spousal love meets the vertical, God's creative power, which I think is such a beautiful uh, imagery for us to have in mind, but also Mm. like perfectly gives us the image and icon of the cross. (laughs) So like it's such a beautiful way to to remember that, yes, we're meant to participate, but also there is a vertical beam here, that being God and his – where the meeting between them happens is where we have fruitfulness in relationship. Um, And so another one of the points that she makes in this chapter is that sex has become defined predominantly about being about pleasure. It's been detached from new life. So we've actually gone by our culture and throughout the years, we've actually gone and separated the two as if we can have them separate from one another. And that – that is so not what John Paul II is about. So he he shows us and reminds us that the human body speaks a language, but that language we're not the author of. (laughs) The author of that language is God, not us.
1: You're quite right. And and there's there's sort of a, um, you know, once you start messing with the, uh, with the, the, the fruitfulness of love uh, sex becomes a transactional reality yeah. instead of a relational one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 becomes, um, sort of a giving of myself away without a fruitful and meaningful giving or receiving, mm. um, you know, and, and part of the reason for that is that, as you as you rightly pointed out, the body has a it has a language to it, right? Yeah. And and, and so the act of sex is the is like the 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 physical expression of the marriage vows. It's effectively the body's way of saying, uh, "I give myself to you in good times and in bad, in sickness and in yes. health, uh, yes. until death do us part." You know, and and, and so when fruitfulness is sort of interfered with it's like saying well there's a part of you that i don't want to accept there's actually a condition that i want to put on this on this love there's a part of your body there's a part of of that 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 sacrament by which you give me who you are and god who lives in you there's a part of you that i do not want yeah you know, there's a part of you i'd rather not have mm. uh and 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 so it it becomes a a sort of a merely transactional reality. And in in, in the other case, say, or in another case, saying in in the case of of reproductive technologies, uh, which which separate what we call the unity of the procreative dimension, which separate the coming together of husband and wife uh, from the procreative act. Mm. Uh, Well, you know, in, 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 in such technology, we are bringing a new life into the world which is divorced from the relational nature that God has written into the human person. Mm -hmm. To take that relationality out means that this child who has been created, truly created in the image and likeness of God, truly beautiful in every conceivable way, but this child has been created out of a commercial act, a commercial exchange not a relational one, mm. and I'm not even making a commentary on the mother's love for the child. I have no doubt that mm, mm. a mother who goes through this process loves her child. Mm. I, I don't doubt that for a moment, not even for a second.
0: Yeah.
1: But the, the, uh, the reality is that in divorcing, um, in divorcing the unitive from the procreative, in divorcing the coming together of two in order to bring new life forth, uh, in order to to, to bring a, a fruitfulness of another life, there has been a. Uh, th- there's something missing from that child's life, mm. and that's a dad or a mum, yeah. right? There's there's something missing here, and there's something missing also for the husband or wife. There's also something missing there, yeah. something that's that's meant to be there.
0: Yeah. I think in what you're saying there too, like in the in the sense of. Um... Either whatever the circumstances might be around the desperation for reproductive methods of bringing forth a child, like people may still come back and say, "Well, no, there there is a mother and a father there. It's just that you know, whatever reasons, fertility, the way that they had hoped, wasn't able to conceive a child without some other way of of intervening." But I think that the point here, though, in terms of the spousal relationship is that what happens is, is like you said before, not only is there something missing, yeah, that not only is it a transaction, but it's also a blatant lie too. I mean, I know that's harsh, mm. but it is because the vows are meant to say, I give myself to you totally. And so the body is meant to say the same. Yeah. It's not just in the wedding vows that are verbally expressed one to another of no, of the will right. that we, that we have, but also in the way that our body, expresses that. So when when we go about intervening in some way whatever way that might be we're effectively saying well actually I don't love you wholly and I don't accept you as a whole integrated person and I don't give myself to you as a whole integrated person yeah. I only take a part yeah. of you I only accept this part of you whatever part that might be yeah. and whatever reason that might be about you know insert your reason here yeah. as to why the the potential for fertility, or why fertility as a whole is not being accepted, whatever the reason might be, I accept only that part of yeah. you because that part of you is convenient for me right now. But yeah. That that yeah. that's a blatant lie. Yeah. If we've that's actually right. if that's we've actually right. exchanged vows of totality, total self. Yes. Then to go and do that yes. with our bodies, yes. it's a blatant lie. Yeah. It's a sad lie yeah, that we've absolutely. bought is a necessity. Our culture tells us that's a necessity nowadays. Yeah, but it's yeah. that doesn't change the fact that it's a lie.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that, that that's that's true. And, and it's also, I mean, that the the notion of of husband and wife can't have a baby, therefore we rely on external means that mm. that, that don't include um, uh, you know, that 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 unitive dimension. Well, uh, you know, it, it's sort of. Um, uh, what was I going to
0: say? Um, well, that, that also, like even taking, giving you some time to think, even taking that and saying, well, because we're not able to have children, therefore I'm going to take on something else. That almost becomes a transaction in itself. It almost becomes, well, mm. I only accept you in the event that I have a child, we have a child. That That needs to be, that's the only yeah. fruitfulness yeah. that I am open to is, the, is yeah. a new life. Well, hang on, yeah. there's, there's many ways there's, of fruitfulness within a spousal absolutely. relationship.
1: Absolutely. And, and it becomes
0: and conditional then.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and it also uh, is it, also predicated on this notion that I have a right to a child.
0: Yes, yes. And that's not true. <laughs> um,
1: no one has a right to a child. No. Uh, you know, where do my rights end? My rights end where somebody else's rights begin. Yeah. You know, I don't have a right to own someone else? No, <laughs> yeah, that's that's just not <laughs> that, that's that,
0: slavery. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Um, so
1: yeah, don't, yeah. yeah. Mm. So moving on then to chapter nine. Chapter nine deals with uh, the the culture of life versus the culture of death. Mm. And um, JP, too, he, she she uh, so. Our, our author here kind of links the Theology of the Body with another profound document from John Paul II called Evangelium Vitae. For those of our brothers and sisters who aren't fluent in Latin, that means the Gospel of Life. And uh, uh, the, the first thing that John Paul II does and that, and that, that Mary Healy kind of draws from is that he, he looks at the relationship between Cain and Abel and, and as we know, that relationship—let's <laughs> call it a breakdown—that um, <laughs> uh, relationship was brought to a pretty, pretty serious yes, end. Yeah. Uh, we uh, we we have Cain murdering Abel, right? Mm. And, and the pretext of everything is that that Abel has offered the very best of what he has of his of his flock. Cain has offered uh, the very least, sort of the scraps yeah. of his cereal offering. Uh, so. Uh, so Abel's offering is more pleasing and Cain's annoyed and so Cain offs Abel now um uh, for our American friends off doesn't just mean turn off it can also mean kill in Australian uh, yes <laughs> uh, so <laughs> yeah so um um the and, and and what what John paul iI focuses on Mary Healy picks up on is when God says to Cain where is your brother and and he and, and Cain responds am i my brother's keeper <laughs> you know and and God's response is what have you done what have you done and it's not because God doesn't know it's because just like he did with his parents he's giving Cain the opportunity to consider wait, what have I done?
0: Yeah.
1: I am my brother's keeper. I am my brother's keeper. What have I done? You know, I've, 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 I've become a murderer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so God calls out for justice. Uh, he calls out for, for, uh, for Cain to recognize the wrongdoing that he has perpetrated. But he does so in a way that, that he doesn't seek vengeance upon Cain. In, in fact, quite the opposite uh even for Cain, he seeks to protect him. Mm. Um, so
0: yeah. But it's not just a protection over Cain alone either. It's also to protect everybody else who would likely have been very angry and upset over mm. what Abel what, what has happened to Abel and very, could very well have turned into, you know, revenge taking. <laughs> Which, again, mm. is just going to perpetuate the same problem. So, you know, this is also, yeah. in, in a way, trying to um, reinforce this is not the relationship that I want. This is not what you guys were made for. This is not why you are here. This is not the relationship between the two of you that I want. There is something else I want yeah. for you. Yeah,
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Um, absolutely.
0: In this chapter, she also she talks about the culture of life and death as well. So a, a way of summarizing, I suppose, the culture of death is that the culture views death as a solution to the problems that we face, that it's okay to eliminate the weakest, the people who are perhaps seen as less uh, useful in our society, mm. that that be okay for whatever reason that might be. Mm. Um, it also it also reduces a person's worth to something like their usefulness, their productivity, right? And the culture right. of life is so much more than that.
1: Mm. The the um, you, you're reminding me here of the famous saying from Joseph Stalin: "Death is the solution to all problems," right? Uh, so if, if, if Stalin, you know, who's responsible for the deaths of who knows how many millions and millions and millions, who knows how many millions, um, you know, if, if, if he's responsible for those deaths, uh, you know, it's, it is, let's say it's unwise to draw inspiration from Joseph Stalin mm. when it comes to forming a culture. Mm. So, and, and look, in, in regard to theology of the body, one of the, the the unique things about the fact that, like, Mary Healy draws this this culture of life versus culture of death thing in, it may seem like it it doesn't fit what's preceded it. Because what's preceded it is, well, this is the body and this is what the body's for and this is who the human person <laughs> is and this is how this plays out in marriage. And this is how it plays out in celibacy. Uh, and now we have culture of life versus culture of death. Mm. It seems like she sort of shifts gears. In fact, this is kind of where rubber hits the road in a certain sense because what you're dealing with here is the very foundations of the theology of the body, which is who is the human person and what is their dignity? That's what John Paul II is always constantly trying to reveal in his theology of the body. And so if if the human person has an inestimable dignity by being made in the image and likeness of God, then a, a culture of death is a a a smack in the face, as it were, or a mar or a, 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 a darkness over the, the great glory of, of life that God has, has given to us, which leads us, I suppose, into the question of why is the theology of the body important?
0: And I I guess, look, Um, when when we extrapolate too, I mean, we start with individual relationships and this is, this is the way I make sense of what she's trying to do is she started with those individual mm -hmm. relationships or rather John Paul started with those individual relationships. What, what does the body communicate? And now she's looking like bigger and bird's eye view. Well, what does that mean? Well, that, what does that mean for our relationship with one another and then to our relationship with our community, culture, society, which So that, that's why culture of life and death is the big picture of now because it has to go on beyond ourselves. It can't just be yeah. within yeah. – like even spousal relationship isn't just meant for the, the two become one and that's it. They're, they're part of a community. They're part of a, a church. They're part of something bigger and there, there is fruitfulness that comes from them that impacts other people. This, this is how. <laughs> Good fruit or bad fruit it, it impacts
1: absolutely spot on the money spot on the money um so this leads us to a to, to perhaps a bit of a wrap-up uh question which is why is the theology of the body important like when we when we look at the the nine chapters that we've just gone through why is it actually important well the theology of the body speaks to the inmost desires of the human person you know it, it unveils who i am my identity and dignity Uh, and it allows me to understand that I'm not an island. I'm not alone, nor am I meant to be alone. I'm meant to be in relationship with God and others, and my body is how I'm able to express these relationships. My body enables me to communicate the truth that I am made in the image and likeness of God, and to venerate that truth in my neighbor and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Theology of the body enables us to recognize how we are meant to relate to each other not as enemies or rivals as did cain and abel but as brothers and sisters and so we can say with john paul ii the battle is not against human beings but against the ancient serpent theology of the body helps us to see the truth that we've forgotten that's masked by the culture and its demands pitting us against each other that we are all made in the image and likeness of god made by god for god at his service and therefore Made to love not only him, but every human person with whom we have a relationship. Be that relationship stranger, acquaintance, friend, parishioner, husband, or wife. Boom. Yeah. That brings us to the end of our book study.
0: It does. You'll have noticed in the last yes. few episodes as well that we've not actually included reflective questions if you've gone to our show notes, and that's been very deliberate. Mary Healy actually has her own reflective questions in her book, so we'll encourage you to go and check out the book instead absolutely. to find the questions in there. They're really, really good.
1: Yeah, yeah, yep, absolutely. It really helps you to, it actually really helps you to get a sense of what the chapter was about.
0: Definitely. And
1: it's, yeah, extraordinary, Yeah. Yep.
0: And gets you to dig a bit for yourself as well.
1: (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Very good. Well, as we end this, wrap up this episode, book study, we have a truth, beauty, and goodness. What do we have? Yes, indeed.
1: So for me, um, it's a book written by a fellow named Servais Pinkins, and uh, he's an extraordinary, extraordinary moral theologian. And uh, he writes a book called Passions and Virtue. It was the last book he ever wrote. And, and, and he really wrote this for people of God. He wrote this for every man and his dog. You know, he's, he was ordinarily quite an academic writer, writing for, for other academics, I suppose. But he wanted, I think, his last work to be a work that everyone can grab a hold of, to understand the life of virtue and the life of passion and emotion better. And for him, he sees that the emotions and the passions are actually really important. In establishing any virtue but they're not just meant to be seen as something that's that that inhibits virtue or inhibits progress but that a trained emotion is actually really really important to the development of virtue yeah Mm, cool so that's 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 my my little tbg for the day
0: yeah that's awesome
1: yeah how about yourself
0: Mm, mine is Floriard in canberra which i've just come back from this last weekend if you haven't been and you're a flower fan i recommend you go and check out floriade during the end of september october school holidays um yeah it's just beautifully done and the, very cool. the what artwork. Was it like? yeah well the the, uh, the amount of care that goes into like setting up commonwealth park the way that they have and it's always different every year Mm. Uh, the layout is a little bit different they've got different stages of music and performances and food stalls and it gets all sorts of people coming there but yeah just the just the way they've thought about how they want to lay out majority of the flowers are tulips how they want to lay out these tulips Mm. the way they spray paint the ground um you know marking out what they're laying where It's just, yeah, really, really impressive work, really impressive. So well done to all the gardeners involved and for the people who make that happen. Yeah, yeah, my word, my word. But, yeah, if you haven't been and you're a flower fan, go to (laughs) Florea.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, do it. Yeah. Uh, All right, well, thank you for joining us.
0: Yeah, we will catch you again next week for our next episode. Until then, know love and prayers. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Did you know that the Virtue Ministry team does speaking engagements? We do talks, workshops and keynote addresses at schools, retreats and conferences, both in person and online. We speak on character development, growth in virtue and relationships, and we are always open to speaking on a topic that you might need for your audience. Get in touch with Virtue Ministry through our website, virtueministry.org.au to make an inquiry.
1: Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. That will help others to find the podcast too. And join us over on our social media, Living Fullness on Instagram and Virtue Ministry on Facebook.